Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. I want to make a brief announcement before we get started. This particular podcast today um, comes from uh, an article that I have written for medium.com, which is an online um, uh, site where there's many different articles on many different subjects. And I've been writing for Medium for a little over a year now. And uh, today's podcast comes from an article that marks the 100th article. That's right, folks. 100 articles over the past little over a year since I was discarded by my narcissist. And um, I think you'll find these articles will offer you some uh, information, some ideas on healing. Um, there's just a lot of different, um, things that I have written about and, um, that I'm doing to heal both myself and you. So I wanted to make that little announcement. Today's topic is called ravaged. Let's think about that word ravaged. What does that mean? What does that mean? Ravaged. Following abuse by a narcopath, which is a word that's often used to describe a narcissist sociopath. Yep, they kind of have combo packs that come come in, um, yeah, like a combo meal. The violence that um, comes after abuse after a relationship with these disordered people, the violence that it, that happens in that relationship often continues after they're gone, after they've discarded you, uh, after you manage to escape, whatever, it, it doesn't end there. And it continues in profound and disturbing ways. So the first thing I want to talk about is how we abuse ourselves. You know, there are many reasons why victims of narcopath abuse continue to self-destruct long after their toxic partnership has ended. Over time, this cyclical pattern of torture and reward, well, it just eats away at their um, sense of self. And this intense humiliation and loss of identity becomes really very common in these circumstances. When the abuser departs, this trauma-bonded victim will often continue to torture themselves. <laughs> They've been conditioned. It's in the brain. It's in the body. This happens in a number of ways. They could torture themselves. This victim could torture themselves with doubts and confusion about what actually has just happened. It's like I felt like I had been hit by a bus, hit by a truck, hit by a train um, when it happened. It was very uh, out of the blue, sudden, blindsided. Boom, one minute everything's okay, and the next minute your life has been obliterated, just annihilated, completely wiped off the map. And you know what's even worse is that the narcopath will blame shift and put the whole responsibility for all of the failed everything squarely on the shoulders of the victim. 
Under this weight, there is a degree of cognitive dissonance that happens where the victim sort of loses touch with what is real and what is not. Uh, Many victims are so addicted to their abuser that they experience trauma that causes PTSD and other maladies that steal their hope and even steal their desire to live. In this weakened and debilitated condition, it's not unusual to see them indulge in prescription medications to alleviate, you know, the suffering and all of that, or maybe make self-medicating choices with drugs and alcohol, of course, again, to escape the pain and get some uh, relief, or to indulge in other self-destructive methods of dealing with grief and loss. You know, there's a lot of those. It is a loss that, that is not only of the, um, of the abuser that has left, but it's also a loss of this illusion of who they were and the false life that they, that you shared with them, you know? Uh, so it's not just that they're gone, your whole life is gone. And the whole person you thought you knew that was all, all really weird and not real. So you're losing multiple things all at once. You know, the, the entire relationship was not what it appeared to be. And it's, it is also unusual, you know, for the narcopath to allow the victim any sense of closure. When a discard happens, it's, a, it's quite often, almost always, very abrupt, very ruthless, and just unbelievable, unbelievable. So let's look at another reason. Let's shift and talk about number two. We abuse ourselves, but also in the aftermath, after these really screwed up relationships, we let others continue to abuse us. Okay, let's think about that. At some point, most people who have suffered in an abusive relationship will try to move on and try to forge some kind of partnership with somebody else, you know? Uh, Many times, this occurs long before they are actually really ready or prepared to be in any kind of relationship. You know, uh, recovery from emotional and spiritual abuse following these kinds of relationships with these cluster B disordered individuals, these can take years to really make any real progress and to achieve freedom and recovery from them. I look at all these things that, you know, there's online programs and buy this and sign up for that and join this other thing. And, and some of them are really expensive. I was looking at one today. I really wanted to do it. Probably would have signed up for it, but it was just cost prohibitive. And there's other ones that I have bought. I Three or four different ones at this point I have purchased and spent several hundred dollars um, trying to find some kind of something, you know, to help me recover. It takes a while. And, and they tell you, you know, buy this program. It's going to speed up your recovery. Well, you can only speed it up so much. Yes, I do believe in the efficiency and uh, helpfulness of a lot of these online things that you can buy for recovery. But, you know, they're not a magic bullet. It's, it's not like you're going to just buy this program and do it for seven days and then boom, you're fine. 
you're not going to be fine. You have to be realistic about your recovery and that it is going to take you a little while. The depth of this brokenness that occurs is something you have to be patient with. And while the focus should be on healing yourself, becoming whole, doing self-partnering and all of that, many victims use a new partner as their escape from their loneliness and all the turmoil that, you know, they want some relief from that. These rebound relationships or palate cleansers, think about that. When you have a bad taste in your mouth, you have to put something in there, a little coffee, a little sorbet, a little something to cleanse the palate before the next course. Mm-hmm. Um, these things don't last, the, these palate cleansers, these rebound relationships. Uh, the world is filled with predators. They sniff out anybody who's vulnerable, sad, broken, lonely, all those types, you know, anybody who has any kind of despair. It's like you're a beacon in the darkness that's just flashing a light saying, come get me, come get me. I'm injured and I can't run away. I'm injured. It's the whole animal survival of the fittest, right? If you're injured, what happens to you in the animal kingdom? Yeah, you get eaten. You're going to die. But, you know, hopefully we're not animals and we have enough sense to know that there are wolves out there in sheep's clothing who are going to swoop in to rescue us. But we're really going to be dinner. Mm -hmm. So they'll come in to exploit and be opportunistic and all of that to get what they can from you. But you just, you know, when you're not ready, you're not ready. Um, Dating. Uh, after an abusive relationship can be summed up like this. Here, here are some descriptors to describe the experience of coupling with another person when you're not ready. Here we go. So uh, I'm an English teacher, so I have some words here, but it creates a horrible picture. So trigger alert. Here we go. This is what dating is like before you're ready. Pinch, pull, bite, bully, squeeze, Slurp, suck, flatter, fuck, grab, grope, grunt, stink, sweat, cling, compare, fake, fawn, lust, leave. You get the idea, right? You get the idea. You lump all those together into one big stew of mess. You, you, it's no, it's just a no. There are You think it's going to make you feel better. You think it's going to help you. It is not. It is not. Just like drugs and alcohol are not going to help you. Prescription drugs, they might take the edge off, but if you lean on them too heavily, I don't think they're going to help you either. Problem's still going to be there when you stop taking them. So these these relationships with these these people who you're not ready to do this yet, uh, it's empty and it's hollow sort of in the same way that your narcissistic sociopath is empty and hollow. We don't want to be like them. We don't want to be like that. That's horrible. That's horrible. The abused person is so accustomed to being disrespected, disgraced, and disregarded that they accept being handled and exploited by strangers as a normal average occurrence. It is familiar 
it feels like home. It feels like family. It's familiar. This kind of abuse is what it is. They have become desynthesized to the objectification and complete lack of emotion. They are accustomed to surrendering their body and their soul to those who only seek to ravage it. And we come back to that word ravage because I really do think when you're in these relationships, that just is such a good word to describe what happens to you. You're ravaged. Yeah. Gobbled up. Let's look at the third way that abuse continues after a relationship with these folks, right? There's a third way. We abuse ourselves. We let others abuse us. And now number three, we accept more abuse from the narcissist, from the sociopath. We accept more abuse, more continued abuse from them. That's the third one. There is much to say about something called the Hoover most types of narcissists will discard the victim or put them on the shelf like an old toy, only to later take them down and play with them again until something newer and shinier catches their eye and comes along, and then off they go. They are known to recycle and repurpose those who have tossed that they have tossed into the junk pile, you know. When the need arises, they'll go back and grab an old toy. Sure, why not, you know? Of course, there's exceptions to this where they, ne they never come back. Um, and this is when they have been discovered and the mask comes off and they know you know. You see what's under there. You see this little shrivelly monster thing that's all broken and pathetic and broken and sad and shriveled and twisted and perverted and, and damaged and, and empty and hollow like a husk. And you just see this this thing that they are on the inside and it's your, you know, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And if they know you've seen it, a lot of times they'll stay away because they know, you know, you know, the truth uh, about what they are. And so they don't come back in those, usually in those circumstances, if that person exposes them or tries to reveal what they are to anyone, to out them to the world, they usually stay away and move far away. My narcissist, uh, within months, he um, left Texas and moved all the way to California, which was where we were supposed to um, go to one day. We talked about it all the time. He knew California that I had had a lifelong love affair with that place, <laughs> even though it's on fire and washing away and having just what problems does it not have, right? People are fleeing there in droves, but he goes there probably because it's my place. And, you know, these, these people, these narcissists and sociopaths, they absorb you, your identity. They, they assimilate it into who they are and make it theirs. They take you and put it into themselves because they're so empty, they have to fill it up with something, right? And then, and then they run off with it. And you're thinking, whoa, what has happened here? This person is living my life. Um, wait, this is this is what I this was mine. This is I have ownership. What's happening here? It's crazy. Um, so sometimes they don't come back. 
they like to be in control and have the power. And so, you know, it gives them fuel and supply. And those of you who know about narcissism know that is the one primary motivating force for their whole existence. They have to have it for survival fuel, also known as supply, which is that constant adoration, attention, affection, somebody new and fresh and exciting, just hanging on them and drooling over them and telling them how awesome and amazing that they are. They, they have to have that. They, they have to have that. And so when they do bad things to damage the person that they're with and to damage the relationship, they don't want to stick around and repair it. They don't want to fix it. They don't want to get past it. Um, they just want to replace it and go on because it's too hard to, in fact, it's almost impossible to get back that level of, of adoration and attention and affection after you've really fucked somebody over, you know, and done something awful. They're, they're probably never going to really get back to that level of, of, of supplying that quality fuel again. So, um, Make no mistake, when they do return, if they do, they don't have anything to offer you. They have not changed. They're only back for some of their own selfish reason or something. They're not back because they have feelings towards their former partner or any guilt or regret for what they've done to that person. They don't care. They're incapable of remorse or accountability. They are um, incapable of love. And they often mistake all these other weird emotions that are superficial and shallow as sort of a proxy for love, proxy kind of love. They can't manufacture genuine feelings that they've never experienced or witnessed. How would they know what it is? That's part of the problem. Early on in their childhood, they just didn't have this. And so, um, yeah, they, they have no idea what it is. To them, love is the excitement of the chase, the thrill of fresh infatuation, the powerful rush of lust, the warmth and comfort of attention and people who adore them. It's all about how other people make them feel. That's not what love is, just how people make you feel. Maybe that's the sixth grade, seventh grade version of love, but that's not grown up, real life um, love far, far from it. So we continue to hurt ourselves in these different ways, but what we need to do in conclusion, I have a last little piece here. I want to talk about is that we have to figure out how to get back our power. We've surrendered it. We have given it away. We've, um, uh, sacrificed it. There's only one response to this narcopath in your life. And that whether you escaped or they discarded you, it doesn't matter. The next step is always the same. You have to get far away and stay far away. No good can come from breaking your no contact regimen. Trust me, I'm 16 months out after being discarded right now. And I have broken no contact through texting, looking at social media, trying to call him. (laughs) You know, we had a, Oh my God. It was like a four hour FaceTime uh, at one point. It may have been longer than that. Maybe five hours. I recorded part of it and then, and then it wouldn't even record anymore because it was just so long. 
and it was just crazy. Who does that? Well, um, yeah, it, it happens. It's all part of this madness. Um, but, but, you know, you can't, um, you can't indulge that. I mean, I know that my mental, rational, logical mind tells me you cannot continue to break no contact. You will never heal. <clears throat> you will never fully be free until you do. So you have to get away and stay away. And you're going to be tempted. Maybe you're going to be addicted and compelled to open the door when they're standing right there on the other side. But just don't. Don't give them the keys to the kingdom. Do not let them soul rape you a second time. I have people from uh, my support group. My my. I went to a... Uh, a support group called uh, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Group. Narcissistic Abuse Recovery. And these uh, people know what's up. They understand this because it happened to them. And whenever I tell them about no contact, like, oh, my gosh, I texted. He texted me. I texted him. I talked to him. He's coming to town. Oh, my gosh, I want to see him. And this kind of thing, they are ready to kidnap me and throw me in the trunk of their car and drive me to a faraway location where they're going to keep me on lockdown, quarantined during the time that he's here because it's just the worst thing on earth I could do. Why would I do that and, and put myself in a position to activate my emotional thinking and put my anxiety level back from three or four, where it lives most of the time now, up to a 10 or 20, you know, on the, on the radar, why would, why would you choose to do that to yourself? Uh, why, why would you sit there and watch them walk away from you to go to someone else, to go to this other life that they have after they have rejected you, abandoned you, dumped you and destroyed you? Why would you go and see this person and let them trigger all that and reactivate it? all the work you've done. Yeah, I get it. You know, sometimes I listen to my own podcast or I read my own articles and I think, wow, that is so rooted in research. It is so grounded in truth. It is so spot on correct. Holy crap. Why can I not follow my own advice? Why can, why does my emotional thinking hijacked my logic and my cognitive functioning. Why? 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 Well, I'm sure that that's maybe happened to some of you. I don't think it's just me. It's what happens. And then you, you, every every time you reboot, you have to start over again. Because sooner or later, you know you're going to have to get this right. You're a junkie. You're no different from a heroin addict. And yeah, getting that hit, that you know, shooting up that heroin is going to just, you know, that's ecstasy, that's bliss, but it's going to fucking kill you, okay? It's going to kill you. You know that, right? And so no matter how awesome this experience is, you're injecting death. And when you put yourself back in the same proximity with that narcissistic sociopath, unless you have children, and you know what? Even if you have children, there are ways around it. 
to have somebody else pick them up and drop them off and to avoid seeing this person and having contact, use a third party, do something to protect yourself because it's like injecting heroin into the bloodstream. Yeah, it's going to be great for a few minutes, but then when they leave, you're going to start back with all that withdrawal, all the, you know, shaking and vomiting and quivering and just being like a little pile of mess of, of like just misery and death. Don't do it, folks. Don't do it. You may be tempted, but, um, you know, don't, don't, um, they can't change. And while they may seem like they're happy with your replacement, you know, that's not going to last. They can't be happily ever after with anybody. They're broken. They're empty. They don't even know what that is. They're going to, they just enjoy their own delusions and self-deceptions and the superficial false relationship and this false self or persona that they have. They're just sucking off that fuel from that new person so they can just survive like a vampire sucking blood. It's not going to last. There's no reason to be jealous. They could marry this person, have babies, drive around flaunting that and saying, look and how wonderful and perfect my life is now. It's an act, folks. You got to know that there's nothing real about them. So the best thing you can do is to turn inward and work on yourself to heal any inner wounding or toxic childhood programming, whatever it is that's making you vulnerable to the narcopath. Yep, that's where it lives. That is the seat of the soul. This is where you need to go to work. Roll up your sleeves and go to town on it because, baby, that's where where the work is and that's where your hope lies. When you are whole and at peace with yourself, suddenly this validation and safety that you were seeking from this disordered person will no longer be necessary. You're not going to be even drawn to people like that who are emotionally unavailable and mentally dysregulated. You're going to see them and say, oh, hell no, and run the other way. There are so many programs and recovery strategies. Just try them on. They help you recover from these toxic pairings and these attachment disorders that you have to these people. These techniques are varied. There's lots of different ones. It's like a buffet. Shop around, try them, pick the one that works best for you. It's like going shoe shopping or something, you know? Try on all the different ones until you get, you know, hit the sweet spot and find the perfect one. So this journey to wholeness and subsequent freedom from these kinds of relationships with narcissistic sociopaths, you know, it's not going to be easy or short. But, you know, what other choice do you have? You can languish in a fog of despair and brokenness, or you can accept what they are, try to forgive them, and then just let them go. The life you thought you had with them wasn't real, and the future that you thought you had with them, that was never going to happen. It's just not possible. It's not built to last. Even if it made it 10 or 20 years, sooner or later, they're going to go. Eventually, they're going to remove their mask and show you what they are. And the hardest part, guys, the hardest part of that is believing and accepting what you see. So that's it for today, folks. I hope that helps you have some perspective. I hope I can listen to my own advice. Say prayers for me. 
Let's all be stronger together. This is a tribe of people who are going through the same thing with the same kind of people. And only people who have experienced it get it. And only those people can help you. And everybody else, well-intentioned though they may be, they, um, they don't get it. And sometimes their advice is not good advice. Um, so find your tribe, say your prayers, wear your mask. Let's all get well. Let's all get free. You know, I have, it's been 16 months, 16 months from now, I may still be, um, having to work on this, but that's okay. Every day. Yeah. There's some rough days. I had rough days this week, days where I felt the heavy blanket of anxiety just laid upon me and smothering me and I couldn't get up and I couldn't get it off. Yeah. I have those days. You will too. But then you do get up the next day and you start over and you say your prayers and you dig around until you get some little kernel of hope. And then you try to grow on, grow it, you know, plant that seed, fan those flames and, and make it happen because you're stronger than you think you are. And um, I think we can do this. I do. All right. Thanks. Bye. See you next time. Be safe.